Hey, thanks for joining us today at the Vine Church. We're one church with two locations and reaching around the world with the help of our online service. We exist to connect the world to Jesus Christ. And if you'd like to partner with us in doing that, you can share this service with others and you can give by clicking the link below. But for now, prepare your heart for some incredible worship and an inspiring message. You make the darkness run and hide. You bring the broken back to life. Only you can, only you can. You set me free from every chain. You fill my heart with songs of praise. Only you Jesus, you're the only reason that I'm Faithfulness of God 
the first thought on my mind In the moments where you go and notice In the ordinary day to day Countless miracles of life around us Point like arrows to your name Well, how are you, church? Good. It's good to see you. It's good to be with you this morning. For those of you I haven't had the privilege of getting to meet yet, my name is Andrew Irwin, and I get to be one of the pastors here at The Vine, and I'm excited I have the privilege of being with you as we kick off a brand new message series that we're calling Every Breath. But before we jump into this series, I want to take just a moment and say thank you to our worship team. Can you guys just join me in thanking them? How incredible was this morning? And for those of you who aren't sure exactly who's a part of our worship team, that consists of everybody who kind of leads worship from the platform, as well as the production team in the back who does just an incredible job of making sure that they sound incredible up here. And so we're just really thankful for all of our worship team. And I don't know if you know this or not, but as a pastor, one of the great privileges that I have is I get to be a part of worshiping in a number of different contexts. I get to go to like large conference gatherings where they talk about worship and they actually lead us in worship. I get to go into really intimate settings with just a few pastors gathered together to worship and pray. I get to go to other churches and see and experience their worship. And here's what I've learned. Our worship team is the best. That's what I've learned. That's what I've learned. They're absolutely incredible. But the reason they're the best probably has nothing to do with the reasons that come to your mind when you think about how great that they really are. It's not because they always seem to hit the right notes and play the right chords, although they do. It's not because they always seem to pick the right songs and know just just when to linger in a moment to allow you to encounter the Holy Spirit, although they do that really well. And it's not because they always seem to have the right volumes or the right environment in the room, although they do that too. (laughs) Now, the reason why they are the best is because of who they are, not what they do. And I think probably the best example that I can give you of that happens before they ever step onto the platform. You see, um, before the band comes up here, before the production team heads into the booth, you know what they do? They gather in a time of prayer. And I'm really thankful for the things they pray about. See, here at the Vine Church, we have this core value where it's a commitment to excellence. So we have a commitment to excellence in everything we do, which really comes in handy from time to time when people like, you know, Pastor Pedro or Pastor Gus ask if they can be a part of the worship team and we can remind them that, no, we have a core value of excellence. Um, super helpful at times. But it, it's not what they actually pray about before the service at all. In fact, I wish so badly that I could kind of bring you into one of their prayer times because you know who they're actually praying for? It's not themselves. It's you. They're praying that you will encounter God in the fullness of his grace, mercy, and love through that time of worship. And they're praying that when they step onto the platform, that they won't be focused on the technicalities of playing the right string, playing the right chord, singing the right note. They don't want to be focused on any of that. They want to be focused on worshiping. So they want to actually lead you, not in singing, but in worshiping the only God who is worthy of worship. That's, that's their heartbeat. And because of that, they are incredible. It's not just that they're musically gifted. Like I tell people all the time, we've got the best musicians, but they're even better people. 
We've got the best like tech guys and tech girls in the world, but they're even better people. What makes them great is not what they do, it's who they are. And I can't think of a better setup for this entire worship series called Every Breath. We're gonna be talking about how every breath we breathe is designed to be an act of worship for God than what they do. Now, I really am excited to jump into this brand new series because I'm convinced that we've kind of slipped into a, a poor way of thinking about worship here in the life of the church. And I don't just mean our church, I mean the church. And what we've slipped into thinking is that worship is what happens in this place on Sunday mornings. That's what we've kind of bought into, that like we come here to worship and then we leave to go do our lives. And the two seem to be pretty separate. But I wanna contend that nothing could be further from the truth. You're actually created to worship at all times in all places. And we actually see that like from throughout the pages of the Bible. In fact, I wanna give you just one specific example from the um, book of Isaiah. And if you're not familiar with church or, or the Bible, Isaiah was what was called a prophet. And the role of the prophet was to listen to God and then share what they hear with God's people. And Isaiah was a prophet about 800 years before the life of Jesus. And he does some like fascinating things. If you get a chance, read through Isaiah. It's amazing. He, like, he knows like, all about Jesus 800 years before Jesus. He knows about the birth of Jesus. He knows about the death of Jesus. It's awesome. But another thing that Isaiah writes about is how God's heart is always for God's people. <laughs> Isaiah was keenly aware of the fact that God's people um, would be disobedient to God. It's, it's a good thing we don't have that issue anymore. But in the Old Testament, right, God's people from time to time would be disobedient to God and disobedience to God creates distance from God. Not because God goes anywhere, because we do. And when there's a distance between God, it breaks God's heart. And his heart is for us to be brought back to him. And so if you look at Isaiah chapter 43, verses six and seven, there's kind of a list that's going on of like the people that God wants brought back to him. Okay, so there's a list of people God wants brought back to him. And here's who's on the list according to Isaiah 43, 7. Here's who he wants brought back. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Okay, so in case you're curious who makes that list, everyone makes that list, right? God wants brought back to him, everyone who's called by my name, who he created for his glory. That's the entire world. God's heartbeat is for the entire world to be brought back into right relationship with him. And what's amazing about that verse is it tells us that we were created for God's glory. Here's the trouble. Here's the trouble we run into. We live as if we were created for our glory. And when we try to replace Jesus's place on the throne with ourselves, we get things really backwards in our lives. And so we need to recognize that we were created for his glory, which is actually a really good thing. And the way we give God glory is through worship. And we're actually designed for worship. And, and this, is, this is good news for us this morning. Uh, I, wanted, I want you to, you to hear this. The question in the Bible is never whether or not we'll worship. Like if you read through the entire Bible, you never have God saying, hey, make sure you worship. No, God's concern is not whether we'll worship, it's what we'll worship. See, we're creatures of worship. Worship is what we do naturally and innately. And if you're not sure this morning what it is that you worship, I would invite you to pay attention to what you pay attention to. When I first started preaching, I used to tell people, if you wanted to know what you worship, pay attention to your wallet. 
Like what you spend your money on is often a good indicator of what you worship. But in our day and age, I don't think that's the best indicator anymore. Instead of looking at your wallet, you need to look at your watch. What you spend the most time thinking about and doing is likely what you worship because worship is your adoration and devotion to something. And you need to know what you adore and devote yourself to because you were created to worship. The question is, what are you worshiping now? Now, some of you here this morning might be going, I don't, I don't know that I'm a creature of worship. I don't know that I worship. And here's what I would push back on that. I would say, whether you're religious or not, you worship. And certainly religions worship, right? Christians, we worship. Hindus worship. Muslims worship. Buddhists worship. I would argue atheists worship. They might not call it worship. They would call it a devotion to science or to reason. I would call that worship, right? But it's not just religious people who worship. You know who else worships here in the South? College football fans worship, right? Yeah, yeah, I got an amen for that. I've preached about Jesus for a while now. I didn't get any amens. I brought up college football, we got an amen, all right? Revival is breaking out here. For some of you, it's not college football, it's, ba- it's uh, baseball. Like we're in Braves country and, and P's and C's are about to report to spring training, right? Okay, and so for some of you, you're about to get your worship on. Okay, I, I get that, but I want you to hear this. We all worship, men worship. And we sometimes worship differently because uh, men like to, to stand but not sing, right? That's how men worship. Sometimes they move their lips, but there's nothing coming out. Women worship a little bit differently because they're often elbowing while they're singing to try to get their husband to sing, which is pretty impressive to me. Teenagers worship. And if you don't believe me, you need to come check out the Vine Youth. You want to see some passionate, all-in worship? Come to the Vine Youth. And you know who else worships? Kids. You don't believe me? Go check out Kids You one Sunday morning. There's passion. There's energy. There's a deep desire to connect with God, and it's so uninhibited. It's a beautiful thing to see. We are designed to worship. And that's why I think if you read throughout the pages of the Old Testament, what you see is God desperately trying to get people to worship what really matters. In fact, I think this is pretty evident when you see Moses leading the people. So Moses, if you're familiar with the Bible at all, you're familiar with the story of a guy named Moses who leads God's chosen people out of slavery in Egypt into the wilderness, and eventually he's gonna get them close to the promised land. And along this way, the people start grumbling at him, and they grumble and grumble and grumble, and things don't seem to be going well as Moses is leading the people, and eventually he gets them to this mountain, and Moses goes up on the mountain, and he gets up there, and he he gets these stone tablets, You guys are probably familiar with this, right? He brings down the stone tablets that have the 10 commandments on them. You guys remember the first commandment? It wasn't to make sure you worship, right? It's to have no other gods before me. What God's trying to say is, I don't need to tell you to worship. I need you to tell you to not worship things that don't matter. I need to tell you to worship the only thing that does matter, which is me. I'm the source of, of life for you. I'm the only one who is worthy of your worship. And what I love about this is Jesus actually kind of tags into this same line of thinking. We see it kind of permeate throughout the New Testament as well. And so if you brought your Bibles or have a Bible app with you, we're gonna open up to Mark chapter 12. That's Mark chapter 12. And if you don't have a Bible or a Bible app, that's okay. We're gonna put the words on the screen. And before we jump into our scripture, I just wanna give you a little bit of context. At this point in time, within the Jewish culture, there was kind of two 
two sects of Judaism that were kind of like arguing amongst themselves, trying to jockey for position and jockey for power. They were known as the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And the Pharisee was the group that was kind of really focused in on rules and regulations, right? If if you're familiar with the Old Testament, you know, there's 613 commandments in the Old Testament. Well, the Pharisees didn't think that was quite enough. So they actually took all of the rules of the Old Testament and actually added rules on top of that because here was their thinking. If they could make sure that everybody had the same rules to follow, they could make sure it was fair, you see, right? The, the, the fair, you sees, okay, right? And then there was this other group who was kind of battling for position and power within Judaism, and that was the Sadducees. They were, they were best known for the fact that they did not believe in, like, they did not believe that anyone could be resurrected, right? And so you, you kind of, at the end of your life, you died, and that was it. That was the end of the story. And if you had that belief, you would be sad, you see, right? So you would be a sad, you see. And so the Pharisees and the Sadducees, come on, stick with me, people. It gets better. The Pharisees and the Sadducees are kind of, kind of trying to one-up each other, trying to get position of power. And they're trying to rele- like, kind of relegate other people who felt differently than them, which by the way, when you have people in power who are using their positions of power to influence in ways that are unhealthy, that's religion at its worst. If you wanna know what religion at its best looks like, it looks like relationship, which is exactly what Jesus models for us. But what's interesting is the people who are surrounding Jesus, a lot of them wanted to actually hear from Jesus, but some of them wanted to see if they could stump Jesus. They, They wanted to see if they could test Jesus. And so there were some representatives of the Pharisees and the Sadducees who followed Jesus. And at one point they start peppering Jesus with some questions. And that's what we're going to see in our scripture today. So let's jump into Mark chapter 12, verse 28. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, Well, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding, with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all, than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not so far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Man, I, I love this scene from scripture because there's a couple of things that just really jump out, uh, jump off the page at me. The first is Jesus was brilliant. I, I get frustrated sometimes when people say, that they should come to church and then turn their brains off. Nope, not at all. In fact, I would say the exact opposite is true. You should keep your brains on and make sure you've got enough coffee in your system when you get into this place that you can keep up with the wisdom that Jesus has to share with you because it's full of wisdom. You see, Jesus takes these scribes and Pharisees, these religious leaders who are looking to stump him. They're essentially saying, hey, Jesus, you know that there's 613 commandments. Which is the best? And Jesus, without skipping a beat, responds by saying, by saying something that would have been something that they had probably prayed that morning. 
See, Jesus immediately answers with scripture from the Old Testament, specifically the book of Deuteronomy, chapter six, verses four and five. And he begins by telling them that the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now, this was a very famous prayer, and it still is a very famous prayer for Jews today. It's called the Shema. And the Shema was commanded to be prayed in the morning and in the evening. And the reason Jesus is citing the Shema to these people who would have already said it that very day, the reason he brings this up is because he wants them to understand that our worship is not limited to a place or a program. Our worship is actually directed at a person. It's the person that we are to open our eyes and begin our first breath by praying to him. It's the person who at the very end of the day, the last thought we think should be about him and the person who is worthy of all of our worship all throughout the day in between when we rise and when we sleep. What, what Jesus is trying to say is there is only one God who is worthy of your worship. And he's not just worthy of your worship sometimes. He's worthy of your worship all the time. And the way you do that is to love him with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I know you didn't ask for a second most important verse, but I'll give it to you. It's to love your neighbor as yourself. Because when you do that, you are bringing glory to God. And this is such a beautiful, beautiful picture of what's happening here. Like, I love what Jesus is trying to tell us. He's essentially trying to tell us that worship is designed to be a lifestyle. And yet, we've allowed it to become a song we sing instead of a lifestyle that we bring. And that's a real struggle for us. Like, it's a big time struggle for us. Because for a lot of us, we've gotten into thinking that as long as we come to church on Sunday mornings, as long as we occasionally listen to some worship music throughout the week, that we're good, that we're worshiping, that worship is somehow tied to the music that we're hearing or the songs that we're singing. Well, that's a part of worship, but if you think that's the whole of worship, you're missing so much of how you can bring praise, honor, and glory to God. God wants every aspect of our lives to be about worship. And here's the struggle for us. For a lot of us, not only have we taken worship from this whole life that we are to live in honor and, and reverence of God, we've stripped it down to one hour a week where we come together in this place and this is our time of worship. And here's what's even crazy. We've taken that one hour of time that we're gonna devote and set apart to God and we've gotten real choosy about which aspects of worship we'll even like. I'm gonna step on some toes this morning, including mine. How many of you have ever thought or said something like this. Yeah, worship wasn't great for me today. You know, I didn't, I didn't really like the songs this morning. Wish they had picked some different ones. Um, I didn't feel like it was like, like there was any feeling in me while we were singing today. If you're like me and you've thought and said those kind of things, I've got news for you. It's actually great news for you, hopefully liberating news for you. It is okay for you not to feel anything in worship because worship's not about you. We didn't gather in this place to praise your name. We gathered here to worship the living God. And you know what I think? I think the living God loves it when even when we don't feel it, 
Even when we don't love the song that we're singing, when we choose to, to sing with everything we got anyway. I think some of the most powerful worship we can give is when we're not having a great week, when, we're, when things seem to be falling apart and we're at our lowest and worst and we come in this place and we still don't feel anything and we, we give everything we got to him. I think God is completely honored by that. And yet we miss these opportunities to praise God with our strongest worship because we feel like we're at our weakest and worst. I'll, I'll never forget the very first funeral I ever had the privilege and honor of being a part of. I, I, it was actually on my 22nd birthday and it was for a, a young man who was um, killed in a car accident when he was 16 years old. He was a, he was a part of my youth group and he was actually um, killed um, just down the road on Highway 85. He was on his way to a mission event at the church where I worked, and he was going to be spending the next week repairing homes for a person who couldn't repair their own home because of their financial and physical restraints. And I remember a lot about that funeral. I don't know if it was because it was my first one. I don't know if it was because it was a teenager. I remember preparing for that funeral thinking, you know, they don't teach you in seminary that at some point you're going you're gonna to have to stand before a grieving mother. And she's going to be expecting you to say something to bring comfort to her. And I remember as, as we stepped into that service, I was standing up front and I was watching this mother. And um, one, of the, one of the students in the youth ministry had asked us, hey, would it be okay if I sing a song? Like if I led the congregation in a song of worship? And we said, absolutely. And so this young man from the youth group grabbed his guitar, and he led us in the singing of a song called Blessed Be Your Name. And there's this like line in there that just, it, it just got, it got me. The line was, you give and you take away, but my heart will choose to say, blessed be your name. Throughout the entire singing of that song, I kept my eyes closed except for one moment. It was when we reached that chorus that you give and take away. And I opened my eyes for a split second and I locked eyes with the mom of that boy who had just passed away a few days before. And she had her hands raised in worship. And I'll never forget that moment for me because I can only imagine how much praise and honor and glory our heavenly father received from that grieving mom who in her moment of weakness and hurt and anger and frustration and doubt came into a house of worship with the intention of giving praise, honor, and glory to God who is worthy of our worship regardless of our week or our month, our situation, or our circumstances. He's always worthy because our God is good. And he does give and he does take away. But our hearts should choose to say, blessed be your name. Because our worship is not dictated on what's happening around us. Our worship is dictated by what God has already done for us. Listen, when we mix this up and we start thinking that, that worship should be about us and what we get, then we miss the fact of who God is and what God has already done for us. And I recognize that some of you here this morning might be in a place where you're going, yeah, I'm feeling, I'm feeling like my faith is a little bit frail. My faith is faltering right now. 
And you know what? On top of that, I didn't feel connected to the songs this morning. That might be where you are this morning. And I want you to hear that. If that's where you are, that's okay. We are so glad that you, that you came, that you're here this morning. Like We're so glad that you made the decision to come, even when it felt like it would have been way easier for you to be somewhere else. And here's why I think it's such a big deal that you came. You are recognizing that God is worthy of worship above everything else. And for some of you, you might go, ah, I don't know that I can even say that. I don't even know that I have any praise to give. It doesn't feel like anything in my life is praiseworthy. If that's you, I just, I would invite you, if you can't think of anything else to praise God for, praise God for that breath in your lungs right now. Every, every breath in, every breath out is a gift from God. And listen, listen, I know things might be bad, but if there's still breath in your lungs, then God's not done. If there's still breath in your lungs, then God is not done with you. He's got something in store for you. I may not know what it is. You may not know what it is, but he knows what it is. And he's with you and he's for you. And his presence alone is enough to garner our worship because of who he is and what he's done. And let me just give you some of his like, if you're trying to figure out like, why would I even spend the time worshiping God, just keep in mind, God is the creator of everything that was, everything that is, and everything that is to come. He, he's the God who, while we were yet sinners, sent Christ Jesus to die for us. While our disobedience had created a gap between us and God, he closed it by sending Jesus to die on a cross. And not only that, he allows his son's spirit, the spirit of Jesus to come and dwell in us. I don't know about you, but that's, that's a lot of reasons to worship. And on those days when the enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy, I just want you to remember, he's gonna keep coming. And you know what Jesus has already said? <laughs> that you are his. And when the enemy came to steal, kill, and destroy, Jesus said, over my dead body. And he's gonna keep saying that again and again and again. Listen. Where we direct our worship, it changes the way we think and it changes what we do. And that's why I want you to get this. I want you to get this. Our praise and worship is not limited to any building. And in fact, because the spirit of Jesus has come to dwell in you, anywhere and everywhere you go is now a place of worship. That's why one of the earliest followers of Jesus, a guy named Paul, was able to write this to a church in Corinth. He wrote this in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. He said, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Do all to the glory of God. The idea being that everything we do should be an act of worship. It doesn't matter where we are. Everything and everywhere should be an act of and place of worship. And so if you're eating, Eat for the glory of God. Maybe try giving thanks to God before you eat, which by the way, does not mean preaching a sermon before every meal, okay? Some of you get a little crazy with your pre-meal prayers, okay? Let me just put this out there. Some of the most powerful pre-meal prayers I've ever prayed were this, thank you, and I meant it. I thanked God and I genuinely meant it. By the way, my kids love that prayer. I'm just putting that out there, they do. Okay, but here's what I would invite you to think about. 
When it comes to eating, you can eat for the glory of God. And maybe the one, of, one of the ways you can do that is to pause and remember that Jesus did some of his best work around the table. And you know why? Because he didn't surround himself with people who looked like him, thought like him, and believed like him. And if, if every meal you eat is surrounded by people who look like you, think like you, and believe like you, maybe just maybe it's time for you to branch out and have meals somewhere else with someone else for the glory of God. And Paul also mentions work. He mentions work. Listen, he says, he says that in everything we do, we need to do it for the glory of God. I don't know if you like your job. I don't. But even if you do like your job, my guess is there's parts of your job you don't like, right? Did you know pastors don't like every part of their job? <laughs> Just putting this out there. You know what I don't like? Email at all. In fact, I have taken email off of my phone because it was driving me nuts. And despite the fact that I no longer get emails on my phone, I checked this week just, to, just out of curiosity, how many emails I've sent over the last two years. You know what that number is? It's north of 12,000. I don't like email. And yet it's part of my job. And so when I'm typing out emails, you know what I'm telling myself? For the glory of God, for the glory of God, for the glory of God right? Because everything I do needs to be done for the glory of God. Listen, I don't know what you do, but I do know how you're called to do it. You're called to do it for the glory of God. Whether you're a CEO or a custodian, you're called to do it for the glory of God. That's the way we bring honor to God. And it's the way we recognize that everywhere we are has the potential to be a place of praise, place of worship. Um, I, uh, some of you know this about me, but my wife and I, um, about a year ago, felt depressed to, to step into foster care. And so uh, that means that at any given time, we have, we have kiddos kind of coming in and out of our house who have a lot of different stories from a lot of different situations. Um, a couple weeks ago, um, we got a new placement of a little 22-month-old little girl and a, a four-month-old little baby boy. And um, because of their situations and circumstances, um, we've had to make a lot of runs down to Children's Healthcare of Atlanta, which, by the way, those people are amazing but um, I don't like going back there anymore, okay? Just, they're amazing. I'm glad they're there to do what they do. I'm tired of having to go there because it's hard. And my hardest visit that I've ever had actually happened um, last Friday. Um, my wife is a, is, an, is a nurse, and so she's supposed to be the one who handles all of the medical stuff. Well, Thursday night, she got the stomach bug, which meant that it was daddy detail, Okay? And so I get the kids and I get my kids to school and then I load up the foster kids and we're going down to Children's Healthcare of Atlanta and um, we get there and they tell us, okay, DFAX, the Department of Children and Family Services, has, has asked us to get skeletals, skeletal exams done on both of the foster kids because of their um, situation that brought them into care. And I was like, okay, that doesn't sound bad. That sounds like right, they're just gonna lay there on a, on a machine and get like a picture taken. Like that's, that doesn't sound too bad at all. And they said, no, that's not how it works actually. The way it works is um, we're gonna hold them in different positions while we take a series of 23 different x-rays. And I thought that, that doesn't sound good. And they said, we're gonna start with the four month old. And so they take him and um, they strip him down to his diaper and, and they start the process of holding him in different positions on an x-ray machine while he screamed and screamed and screamed. And I'm not allowed to touch him during this process 
So I'm sitting in the room, staring at the x-ray machine that this four-month-old child, who's so scared, who's screaming, and there's literally nothing I can do. And about halfway through the exam, all I can think to myself is, you've got to hold it together for him. And so I start talking to the only one who can hold me together in that moment, which is not me. It's God. And I start telling myself that even this place can be a place of praise and a place of worship. Even through his screams, even through his fear, even through his doubts, even through him feeling alone and not sure what's going to happen next, this can still be a place of worship. And in that moment of declaration that that could be a place of worship, I felt a peace that cannot come from any place on earth. It can only come from heaven. I felt this peace wash over me. The screams didn't stop, but something inside of me started. It was a spring of peace that I can't put into words. And as soon as that skeletal exam was over, I was able to scoop that baby boy up and pray over him and remind him of who he is and how loved he is. And it's not because of anything that I could have done on my own not even close. On my own, I would have been in pieces on the ground. But because of the, because of the praise of our God, the presence of our God came in that moment in a way that was undeniable and yet unexplainable. And I'm so grateful for it. Listen, I don't want you to miss this. Because of what Jesus has done for you on the cross, because he has been raised from the dead, the spirit of Jesus can live in you so that you don't have to come to this place to experience worship. Worship is wherever you go. You can connect to God at any time and any place. And there is so much power in that. You have no idea the potential that dwells inside of you because of the presence that dwells inside of you. If we'll get this, we'll understand that the spirit of God can take any person and change them. The spirit of God can take any place and change it. The spirit of God can take any impossibility and make it possible, not because of us, because of him. And he wants to do that in you and through you and for everyone around you. And it starts with you recognizing that our worship's not limited to any time and any place. It's designed for everywhere, every time. We've got to get this church because it matters. If we're going to be people who say, we don't just want to help other people get to heaven. We want to help people understand that heaven can get into them. That starts with our, our consistent praise and our consistent worship and everything we say and everything we do seeking to bring honor and glory to God. And so if you're here this morning and you came in thinking, hey, you know what? I'm going to go get my worship on. I'm going to feel good. I'm going to leave. And that'll be done for the week. Listen, your week's just getting started. In fact, your worship starts now, and I can't wait to be back next week to hear about your worship all throughout the week. Because when we've spent a week worth of worshiping and come back together collectively, ooh, you wanna hear some powerful worship? You wanna see something amazing happen? What if, what if a room filled of people, filled with people, went out into this community and worshiped all week long and then came back and celebrated on Sunday mornings? That sounds like an every breath kind of worship to me. That sounds like the kind of worship that our God who sent his one and only son to die on a cross for us. That's the kind of worship that he deserves. That's the kind of worship that I want us to be a church that offers, not just on Sunday, but all the time. And if you're here this morning and you're going, I don't, 
I don't know that I can worship God because I'm not even sure I know God. Then this morning, you have the opportunity to get to know God and for him, for him to come and take up residence in you. And you might be thinking, whoa, you don't know where I've been or what, what I've done. You're right, I don't. But I know what's been done for you. And because of what's been done for you, the Spirit of God longs for you and longs to dwell in you so that you can go from sitting in a place of praise to being a place of praise. And that can happen right now. Church, all the angels cry. Oh. 